0: This is part two of a two-part special on Special Forces. Marines, the toughest fighting men in the world. You will now run. You will walk. Get on the yellow footprint right now. I right, said. You will do what you told to do, what you told to do it, and without question.
1: On our previous episode, I admit this all the time in the open. It. I went through Buzz in 1999. I had already had two or three combat tours under my belt by 07, and those two books handed to me by a peer were the first two like legitimate pieces of mental agility training I got other than go harder for longer with more intensity. Push back!
2: force! Let's go, let's go! You know, what's mental flexibility? What's mental agility? Okay, people, people can start to work through these. How do
1: we train that? beast? so damn. When you're really pressured, you know, way out on the edge of your physical ability, the only thing you have left, the only gear you can go into, is a mental So
0: loss..: What you just mentioned there, CC, like the ability to train some of these things, it's kind of, uh, it's kind of a given in terms of mental endurance, right? Let's just do something that's mentally taxing for a long time. Cool. But agility, mental agility, how have you found the best way, whether it's in pro sports or with tactical athletes, how do you go about improving someone's mental agility?
2: I think context is, is incredibly relevant, right? Ken, Ken Rivers would have said context, context, context. He probably would have used it in a slightly different way. But, but I think that's important too. So um, one of the areas that you're going to work a lot with on, in the military on the mental side oftentimes is memory, which is not as necessarily essential in sport. Um, but that's a huge piece of cognitively what's oftentimes getting processed along with, um, the ability to exert adrenaline, uh, keep going, carry weight, yada, yada. Um, so how, but, but we know things like, for example, for working memory, that training out of context doesn't always transfer very well. So if you're going to be working with soldiers where facial recognition is important or remembering license plates or numbers or things like that, context matters. And so I think when you look at mental agility, one of the pieces that's really interesting on the mental side is you have to understand the context for that performer, whether that's an athlete or a soldier, and then you're going to build within that context to help them um, create agility. So if their job is going to demand that they are switching focuses or that they're able to ignore distraction and listen in on something else, build within those contexts. Um, and ideally, just like in sport, you know, I think mental performance, if you can do it on a baseball field uh, when it's applicable is oftentimes better for the athlete, better for you than being in a office. I think that's true for soldiers too, right? The more you can get within their normal training domains, um, the better it is when you find yourself in a sterile office. Um, you're doing a lot of trying to replicate or a lot of trying to build a scene to create generalization from that training to wherever you want it to go.
0: Yeah. And also I remember being impressed when I was first talking to you guys about some, some of that element of like let's try and put them in context, right? That you talked about a uh, an exercise you did. I'm pretty sure it was you. Hopefully it is. Uh, otherwise, this story is going nowhere. But you had guys get into a physiological state on the mound, and then you would actually talk them through the process of getting down from uh, nine to a seven, right? Is it is that uh, an yeah, exercise you with?
2: You may have talked to multiple people about it. I'm sure we're not the only ones, but, um, yeah, I mean, I think if you can get people in their performance state and talk about it, um, I think that's an area where working with their instructors, cadre or coach becomes a really big deal too, right? If your pitching pitching is part of that is noticing things. And oftentimes they'll notice it faster than I will. And they're able to talk that piece. Hey, remember, this is where we talked about, um, finding a visual cue. Hey, this is where we talked about a breath. Hey, this is where we talked about a reset button. Um, I think that's absolutely huge in terms of the ability to learn it and put it into context for where you actually need it. I think the, and if you look at the military settings, like what's so amazing is oftentimes they've talked, like when you, now know, put it in special forces terms, when you talk to a team sergeant, right, the guy that's been around and is running a team, you'll describe something and he'll be like, oh, we do imagery, we call it this, or like that's a rock drill, um, you know we talk about self-talk or cues. We just do it this way. Um, they have things that they have done that are well honed, incredibly smart, um, mental performance skills or assets. They don't always have the language to relate them to the younger guys. And they don't always remember to relate them to the younger guys. Um, because for them it's common sense at this point, of course I go through this procedure. Um, I think where we fail is to deliberately realize, Hey, this is a really essential component to your success and to remember to talk it to the novice. Um, again, I think true on the pitcher, the first time you're teaching him that he can actually downregulate um, for the guy that's behind a gun, the first time learning he can downregulate or that he can regulate period. Um, sometimes those lessons are passed really well. Sometimes we forget to pass them.
0: Yeah. And I've, you mentioned the, the expert's dilemma there where, the and I, and I see this sometimes in a veteran player talking to a a rookie right they're trying to tell them this thing they're like it, it makes sense and they're like I remember the first time I saw this was in cricket so for those of you not familiar with cricket I usually describe it as the rest of the world's baseball and they're um, they're talking about a certain type of delivery so a certain type of pitch they might want to throw and in particular in cricket they throw the ball at the, it hits the ground before it gets to the batter and if you make it bounce just in front of a person's toes, it makes it very hard to hit. You can imagine, right? And so that's called a yorker, or up in the block hole, where it's like this is the thing. Trying to dig into that as an example, like, so can you tell us what the block hole? Like, what do you mean when you say block hole? And the guy was like, "Well, it's it's the it's the block hole. Like, that's I mean, there's no other way to define it. It's just like that. It's just the block hole. What are you talking about?" And for veterans talking to rookies or for leaders or coaches talking to new recruits, like, it's often a stumbling block. of there's this thing that we know what it is and, come on, you've got to know and we can't even put it into words. And so I, that question can go a couple of ways and I'm going to throw it to you, Colin, where it's what's an example that you've seen in terms of describing these different components of mental fitness that the language just wasn't there until you perhaps worked your way around it? or found a native way of
1: saying it. Yeah, what what you just described, Patty, was the tacit knowledge transfer problem. You know how to ride a bike, but you can't necessarily describe how to ride a bike. Most people will say, just say, Patty, tell me how to ride a bike. You'll say, get on and pedal. For the most part. You might say something about balance and proprioception or or who knows, right? And you're going to want to ask Preston about this and then hit pause. You'll ask Preston about tacit knowledge transfer, then hit mute on your mic and just let him go. (laughs) Um, But the... there's a couple different ways. You hit a couple, you know, Cease already hit a couple and and one that was jumping to mind when you guys were talking um, was all these other examples about different types of mental performance. And, you know, one, context obviously matters And, and just telling somebody this sounds ridiculous, but for years in my, in my career in special operations from 99 until say, maybe I'll say till roughly 2006 I don't know that I ever had an instructor say like this training is for this mental skill. We just did training. And as Cease mentioned, I realized later that I picked up a bunch of mental skills that I could translate, but that's highly dependent Patty, as you know, unlike your learning style, your capacity for learning all the way down to like, are you a note taker? So when you do four five, six free fall jumps in a day out at a drop zone, you may be out for three weeks and you're going to do, 40, 50, 60 jumps in three weeks. Right? Are you keeping a jump log on what you did well? Because if if an instructor or the system isn't set up to simply just tell you um, high altitude, low opening, which is roughly speaking in the daytime, jump at 13,000 feet, open at 4,000 feet, fly your canopy in to the to the drop zone in the daytime, right? That's a certain set of skills because obviously if you jump out of an aircraft at 13,000 feet and you pull at 4,000, you have less time to make decisions, right? A high altitude, high opening jump at nighttime at 25,000 feet, different things can go wrong. But when you jump at 25,000 feet, you have, if you have a mistake early in the jump, you're working with 20,000 feet of airspace to make a decision, right? That's a different set of A completely different set of skills, but you have other options, right? And so number one, I think in our context, particularly for young operators doing something really high risky and, you know, high risk training is is being clear about what you're training on, like in given event, right? Because as you guys know, as professionals in this space, you can stress somebody and you learn something or you can teach somebody. You cannot do both at the same time people can argue this all day long, but you guys know the the physiology better than I do. You have to choose one of those and you learn different things in those environments, right? So just saying that would have been useful to me. Like it would have been useful, Patty, if an instructor had said, Coleman, for the next six hours, or let's just use hell week, for five days straight, we're just going to smash your head in. That's what this training is for. Just smashing you. You're not going to learn anything. Be like, okay, no problem. But I, I didn't, thinking how week I was learning anything useful. I just knew it was a test, right? But you, you you get my point. And then the only the only other one I want to mention in terms of when I learned that learning something about mental agility, like how to set it up, was as you mentioned, where we, I think in special operations and military, stumble our way into help solve the tacit knowledge transfer problem is our very deliberate after action review process that even though we don't like to talk about stuff out loud in front of each other, and I think it's actually worse in locker rooms, Patty, is a lot less open assessing of your performance in locker rooms. We do a decent job of that. We're not always kind and gentle with each other, and I don't really think in those environments we should be. We have to get down to the brass tacks. But even by accident, that activity builds a shared language that helps you describe the block hole problem when, you know, it's hard to describe decision-making and pressure if you don't have a normalized or shared language to use the same words. Yeah.
0: I, I mean, you mentioned something there about specifically, I picked up on you talking about the intent of, a, here's why we're doing this drill. Or here's why we're going to bash him in the face for five days. And it immediately made me think of as a 17 year old. So one of the uh, scars, a few scars from my football career, but there's three of them on my shoulder from three separate shoulder reconstructions over the course of six years. And part of it is because when I was trained as a 17-year-old, they just put me on the bench press and said that it was purely outcome, just press that weight and you've got to catch up to these 24-year-olds and you've got to do it quick. And so my shoulder mechanics were horrendous and I would like curl around and just do whatever I could to get it up there without knowing that actually part of the training is supposed to be setting your scapula so that you can be solid and move the weight more efficiently. And so by the time we worked that out, it was too late. My shoulders were pretty screwed up. But it's a great example of it. If, if someone had told me early on, here's what we're trying to do with this exercise, here's what you need to pay attention to while you're doing the exercise, it's a totally different learning outcome in a physical sense. But you're talking talking the same stuff mentally and emotionally as well. Um, Cece, you, you, I mean, Coleman just mentioned there the after-action review and I'll circle back to you in a second, Coleman. It's he mentioned also a jump lot, right? And I've seen hitters come back to the dugout and they will write down every pitch. It's, it's, a, it's a rarity, but it does happen. And they will be like, here's what happened. Here's what he threw me. Here's what I did. Here's how many runners were on and score and all that sort of stuff. Um, but also there are some who take it to the next level and they're like, here's what I felt. Here's what I was paying attention to. And it becomes a self-learning tool as opposed to I'm just trying to learn about the pitcher, right? Is there, a, is there a review process you've seen either from someone who's really good at baseball or perhaps even a good manager who helped their team reflect that stands out to you as, like, given that you also have seen good after-action reviews military-wise? Like, what, what stood out to you in baseball as, like, that was a really cool way to do it?
2: Uh, yeah. I, I mean, I think I was shocked when I first got into baseball and it took me some time to appreciate that they didn't do an after-action review of some kind every night. Um, you know, guys will get back from 3am or you'll finish a training with them at 2am and they'll be like, all right, we are in an hour, you know, and you're kind of thinking, holy hell, that's gonna be three in the morning. Okay. Um, but they, after action review everything. And it's very candid. Um, I get it. I think
0: I was actually with you guys when I was with the Eagles, we came and visited Akron and I was in the dugout Yes, and we were talking about the starting pitcher just got whacked. He came off. And everyone just kind of avoided him
2: mm-hmm. because
0: he had screwed up and probably cost him the game. And just no one talked to him. And both myself and my colleague from the Eagles were looking at you being like, but wait, don't you need to help the guy? Like he's yeah. in a bad spot right now. You either help him feel better at the very least or help him learn. And, and everyone's right. like, nah, it's kind of not what you do in baseball.
2: Yeah. Baseball, you leave him be for a while. Um, and depending on who it is, it might be the next day. It might be later that night. Um, it's always interesting
0: but But there's an element of that thing that uh, if they play every night it becomes exhausting to do that all the time right for them yeah Yeah.
2: and it's just it's just culturally different i think you know the older players in baseball would tell you that they used to sit around clubhouses and have beers after the game and they used to do a debrief an informal debrief and they used to talk about how the guy pitched that night and, and who had success and what did they see and how did it work And I think they would tell you that um, some of that's missing in baseball is that that, that guys tend to, you know, clean up, shower, get out of the clubhouse nowadays, and the culture is shifting. They don't sit around the same way. Um, And I think there's probably truth there, but I do think your best players are really reflective on their performance, and I, I think journaling is huge. Um, no one loves to talk about it, but you know, a sniper journals. So um, there are badass people that journal. Um, Can you
0: say that again, Sorry, You say sniper journals. Sniper I've never heard journals. Those two words in the same. Right.
2: Coleman can elaborate probably way better than I can, but they every every bullet that has gone, every round that has gone through that rifle has been journaled. They know exactly how many rounds have gone through um, the barrel of that gun because they want to know how the gun shoots when it's cold. They want to know how it shoots when it's warmed up. They want to know um, all the, they call it dope, all the data on it. So Coleman can talk way more about that than I can. Um, but yeah, they journal. They know everything about how they perform. They better.
0: So, I mean, I actually am super curious to hear more about that and, and you even see you gave a couple of great examples of like just learning about the instrument we're using,
1: mm-hmm. a little
0: similar to the human who's the, the extremely neurotic conscientious hitter that I was referring to, I won't name them, but they would log time, date, inning, score, runners in position, pitcher, how many innings they had, what their normal mix was, here's what he gave me, here's what I did, but here's what I felt here's what I was playing. Like he went into learning his own instrument, right? This is a great example for some military folk. It may sound like, yeah, this is what we do. Right. But for those who aren't military or aren't snipers and may not know about this, can you tell us a bit more about what that looks like? Cool.
1: Yeah. Um, it's, it's funny since you brought that up because in 99, when I checked into SEAL team three, I had a gap in picking up my first platoon and officers don't serve as snipers ultimately. But I went to sniper school with the rest of this big group. There was an open billet. It was an opportunity to go and understand the craft. I was never going to obviously serve as like a platoon sniper. But I graduated from sniper school in, in late 1999 or 2000. I can't remember now. But um, what C's described is exactly true. So you, you record every bullet through the gun. You record humidity, temperature, wind, who your shooting buddy is what drill you're doing for obvious reasons. Are you shooting a known distance target? Are you shooting an unknown distance target? Because there's a way to get distance on a target where you don't know how far it away is using this process called milts, you know, and, and you have to know everything about the environment, Patty, because the bullet behaves differently depending on how hot it is, how humid it is, what elevation you're at, et cetera, et cetera. Dive logs are the same way. Temperature of the water. What's the current? What's the, everything jump logs are the same way. Where did you jump? What was the altitude? Who was around you? All these different things. And so when it comes to, these are the things we don't often, I'm glad this got brought up because we don't often get into this like kind of thing. Cause in, in the general conversation of like performance today and everywhere, it's always, Oh, use the five minute journal, or write the three things you're grateful for. I think that's fine. Like do all that stuff. But when you're talking about a very precision performance instrument in professional athletics, In when you go overseas and somebody is trying to take your life away from you, it is not trivial to know exactly what you describe. Patty, not only how you feel, but how do the instruments of the job work together? Meaning your teammates, the gear that you use, you know, and no one can remember all that stuff. Like you have to track your performance in some way to know how to make adjustments. Otherwise, back to my point earlier, you can talk about being pretty good. But don't talk about being elite if you're not doing elite behaviors. Yeah. I
2: think. And, that, self-awareness. and that's, you know, oh, go ahead, please. Oh, sorry, Patty. I think self awareness is so much of what underscores that. Like to me, self awareness is the foundation of of mental toughness. You can't, uh, it's like doing land navigation and not knowing the first part, your place you're starting from. Like how do you get to point B if you don't even know if, where point A is, where you're currently standing? You can't. And so I think that that's, that's that journaling piece. That's that. Um, reflection at the end of a game. That's that time to write it down. That's what being a lead is, is having such a good sense of how you function that then you're able to be agile. Then you're able to be flexible. Then you're able to adapt and evolve and persist because you know how you function. You know what your strengths and weaknesses are. So you can grab the teammate that helps you cover down on that weakness if that's what you've got to attack or you know you've got the strength there and you're going to move forward without hesitation. Um, Candid feedback and moments where you get to see yourself clearly or peer evaluations or moments alone in the woods are probably the greatest gift we get given because we have to see ourselves and I, I just feel like those moments, that's what starts to create the ability to be elite, the ability to succeed.
0: Yeah, the ability to get better even if you're not elite, just to be able to, learn. to improve and learn. Like I, I think that's why that sniper journal really grabbed me because I assume, Coleman, you can't be a good sniper if you don't know how your gun works, no way. particularly if it changes how it works in different conditions, right? And that's what we all do as humans. We naturally, there's a lot of research now that says personality is not fixed and depending on the situation, depending on your physiology, depending on what's on the line, we, we are different people in different contexts. And if I don't know that, and I'm just going to pretend that this gun fires the same as, as, it, as it did yesterday because I'm in a different spot and I'm in real trouble as a human operator. And, and that's why I think that really grabbed me as a, as a metaphor. Um, we, uh, we're going we're gonna to move a little more to a broader view because not everyone who is listening is going to be someone who holds a gun, potentially. Uh, there are there are a lot of people who might be medical operators or there may be teachers or instructors or you know there's a there's a wider rate but a lot of people are also husbands and wives and children and uncles and aunts and all sorts of things and so one of the things that often comes up when I'm having these chats offline but particularly on the show is that it moves into the, the realm of like how this spreads how we can talk about your ability to deal with a gun in different conditions or your ability to step off a man of control your physiology and that that somehow seeps into someone's personal life. Do you guys see that in, in the various crowds that you're working with?
1: Say more about that, Patty. What do you, what do you mean exactly?
0: So I will often relay the story of um, one of the first athletes who – went all in, I guess, in terms of the stuff that we were doing here. And it took a little bit of convincing and he saw some results and then it became his thing, right? And mm. His teammates would rib him about it. And eventually he was just like, I don't give a shit because I know when I go home. Like, and I actually, I started the conversation that I always reflect on. I was saying, like, hey, man, I'm, I'm proud of it Like, your teammates are ribbing, you know, you're sticking to it. You're seeing, like, he was having a career best stretch. Like, it's really cool, man. And he was like, yeah, that's kind of cool, but the best part is I'm a better father because of this. And I'm better, like I I guarantee you my wife will tell you I'm better around her. And that was, like I get my, speaking of physiology, my hairs are standing up on my arms as I tell that story, but it is a real effect of, of not always, but sometimes when we work on this stuff, it translates into other areas of life. Is that your,
1: yeah. your experience there?
2: Eh? Go ahead. Yeah, I, I think that's – so I'll give a simplistic and silly story, and then I'll um, hit one that's maybe more in line with family. But um, Simple and silly is correct. Well, so I had a baseball player that was actually at a strength camp in the offseason, and they were hitting a lot of the mental stuff, and they were talking about what it takes to really do stuff right consistently, every time making the right decision. And uh, I came out to, to see the crew at strength camp – and the, the piece that stuck with me is like, I can't fold laundry without making sure that my socks are properly put together and I have folded them properly and put them away. He's like, I used to not give it about socks, but it's, you know, if you're going to do it right, do it right. Um, and I actually like shared that I, for something for the Association for Applied Sports Psych. Like I was like, you know, the habits become um, trends, you know, they, 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 they do, they generalize into other parts of life. Like this guy's socks now had to be done right too. And that's just where he'd gotten to. He was trying to do, if you're going to do it, he was going to do it right. Um, and I thought that was pretty amazing. The other piece that always makes me laugh, particularly when I'm working with instructors and we're talking about like coaching methodologies or feedback or way to do stuff. Um, Without fail, one of the first pieces of feedback I get if they go try any of the mental performance stuff is they're like, it worked on my kids. And I'm like, <laughs> you tried this on your child before you tried it on a soldier? Really? <laughs> you know, but they did. Yeah, I, I tried it and it totally worked. Um, and so I always feel like that's kind of that cool moment of like, yes, this stuff um, tends to universally... Work. We are dealing with humans here, whether they're a five-year-old human, which might make, give you much faster feedback, or whether it's your student that's learning something at 22.
0: Very cool. Come do you have an example?
1: Oh, yeah, tons. I mean, one of the things that I always try to remind myself of, Patty, is the, the brain's agnostic to your activity. It doesn't know if you're being shot at or if you're being attacked by a great white shark or if you're in a fight with your spouse or girlfriend. The brain follows the physiology and the psychology of the evolution that we have been given. That's it. And so if you are building new mental and physical skills in, in this realm, in one area, you're going to get seepage, as you guys know, in other areas. And that's not surprising. It's obviously really encouraging. And when I think of uh, almost 18-year-old son, 15 and 11, three, three boys, and I was talking with Sean Hulls, who, who you know, Patty, just the other day, actually, he's going to be on our, our team cast here in a few weeks. And we were talking about performance and, and Sean was talking about work capacity, right? And I'll bring this back to parenting, to your point. Sean said, remember, like the acquisition of a skill happens in, I guess, five or six stages. Let's see. It, first, you do it slowly. Then you do it at speed. Then you do it at speed with fatigue. So five stages. Then you do it. At speed with fatigue under external pressure conditions, and you have to do that consistently and so when I think about just being a good father and you know a good spouse trying to be good at those things and being a good friend to people, you you practice the new mental skills slow and then at speed and then at speed and under fatigue and then under fatigue and under pressure, and do that consistently and and as long as having a long conversation with my oldest son um, last night and not for anything you did wrong, just a long conversation about whatever. And you are invested for a long period of time and you have to do these things consistently over time. And if you run yourself into the red as an athlete or a soldier, your body doesn't just magically perform better when you walk into the house, like it's in the red for everything. And that's something we have to watch for.
0: Yeah. So, I mean, I love that. There's some great analogies there, um, which might be your answer to this final question. I, Particularly when it gets to talking about how this affects life, I'm often reminded of a quote from William James, who I think he actually bastardized it from Socrates or Aristotle, but we're just gonna say it's William James. And he said, so a thought reap an action, sow an action reap a habit, so a habit reap a character, so a character, reap a life. And it basically is is the the basic premise of like how we think affects or what we focus on affects. How we might act in the moment, but if we do that regularly enough, we create habits, which essentially form our character or our personality. And if we hold on to that for long enough, it basically dictates how our life's going to end up. And and so I'm I'm prompted to think of that because we're talking about how these little acts can seep into other areas of our life because it kind of reshapes the way we handle things. You said it much better though, Colin, with with sexier language. That if you were going to give as a final takeaway, if you were going, to, if each of you were going to give one. Like, here's a thought or here's an act that if you sow this often enough, it'll lead to good habits or the character you might want that'll give you the good life or the the type of life you might want to end up with. What's a simple takeaway? It may not be easy, but it could be simple, that if applied regularly and consistently could really change someone's toughness, their ability to deal with discomfort. And to your point, Cece, early on, to just, like, these to put up with feelings and still do their thing or Coleman, like you mentioned to be mentally agile. What's a, what's a one thing to pay attention to or something you can do that if you do it often enough, it'll make you better in that area.
1: Yeah. I'll uh, see. So give you a second to think here and formulate <laughs> your answer. Cause I, I have a couple, just cause I just prepared some notes here, which was actually this, this was designed for earlier, but I think it fits here, Patty as well. I think, of maybe top two or three questions since I've been out of the military and just moving around the regular world. This thing I'm about to share is, is one of the top three questions I've been asked by literally like every single person I meet, who's even mildly interested in talking about, you know, my old life in special operations was what you've alluded to here. And what this show is really about is like, Coleman, what's your definition of mental toughness? I've been asked that it seems like 10,000 times. And, um, my de- the way I think about it is, and I can check myself in almost any realm this environment. When I'm sitting in freezing cold water, when you're overseas, when you are doing something uncomfortable in your house or with your family, it's a situation you don't like, is, is is your desire for mission accomplishment greater than your desire for personal comfort? And when I cop out, when I when I fail to have a hard conversation with my boys or my wife or a teammate or a friend or I fail to do something tactically in training and in preparation or overseas. Typically, it's when I'm deferring to my personal comfort. You know, Coleman wants to feel better physically or emotionally, and that sacrifices an opportunity at accomplishing the objective you're going for. And so insert 6,000 examples in athletics, right, Patty? If I just, I really don't want to run those wind sprints that hard because we've been working hard this week. Okay, don't run them that hard. But remember, the enemy, opponent, whatever, the enemy does not care about your comfort. Their mission in life is to take your comfort away, sometimes permanently. So when you choose your own personal comfort and your training and your preparation and your behavior, you're building a habit that the enemy is more than willing to make you pay for.
0: So great, great definition and a very strong example. Cece, you got some thinking time there.
2: <laughs> um, that's interesting. My definition for mental toughness was fi- the foundation in self awareness, but the capability to adapt and persist towards goals. Um, right. And I kind of love Coleman's, though. Um, so I'm gonna, I'm gonna straddle this a little bit. I'm gonna say. If you are currently comfortable enough in life or doing well enough in life, then I would say my piece would be um, find something that makes you uncomfortable, that gives you butterflies and and learning something new is the easiest way to do it. And it doesn't have to be um, a big thing. Just doing something where you have to do the research, um, see what you're like when you're learning, see what you're like when you're challenged, kind of get to know yourself out of autopilot um, when we're good at stuff, we're kind of oftentimes an autopilot. So if, if life is okay right now, get uncomfortable. If life's not okay, if you're struggling or slumping, it's the same advice I'd give a player is what's one thing that when you're playing well, you do consistently, what's that, what's that one strength that you come back to, Hey, when I'm playing well, I always do this, or I'm consistently this person. Um, and then just let that be the bar of success for that moment and do that consistently. Well, I think oftentimes when we're slumping or we're struggling in life, we want to jump out of those moments or get out of them really quickly. And we forget that we have to find our first handhold or our first foothold to start to climb up out of that. And so set that first handhold or foothold. And then it, it, the, the hard part on this is to let that be success for a while. is just doing that one piece well and letting go of the you know, You know you're going to have to climb another eight feet. Forget about the other eight feet for now. Just do the first one. And what I usually find is that people can focus on that um, before they know it. They're, they're climbing way higher than they thought they would. Um, but you got to come back to simple. You can't solve all the problems at once. Um, it's Half the time what got you in the hole to begin with. So um, yeah, depending on where you are now, I would have slightly different pieces of advice.
0: Love it. That's a very nuanced answer that no one has taken the time to split their answer into. two. So well done. You've, uh... Set the bar higher now for everyone else. Coleman. I, I love the definition of um, mental toughness there, which we sort of skirted past earlier, but that was a very powerful definition. To the point that CC ended on, have you got a, a takeaway or a, like, here's something you can do to improve that?
1: Um, other than recognize where you start to... So the story I normally tell, Patty, is when I went back to Bud's as an instructor. After being a student, I went back as an instructor. And watching other students go through... Hell Week is such an easy example because it's, it's so difficult physically and mentally. And surf torture is such a miserable event where you just sit in the water and get frozen. You know, it, it doesn't teach you a lot. But you can start to recognize for yourself, it's a recognition, is do you know do you recognize those moments where you start to toggle your decision making? Like to Cease's point is like, things are, I'm on autopilot. I'm on autopilot. I'm on autopilot. I don't feel like I'm on autopilot anymore. Do you know when those moments are coming? Because if you know, if, if you work on recognizing when they arrive, what you're starting to do is recognize when your physiology or your training or your psychology or what are your life experience has quote unquote, like in a way failed you, but really it's just signaling to you. And that's when you have an opportunity when you're on autopilot, you're not using any mental agility skills. Like it's when you start to waver a little bit on something that, and so I think something we can do, look for any listener, forget practice, forget a game. If you're professionalized, forget a deployment in a regular day, catch yourself, recognize places where you don't feel like, for lack of a better term, like you just don't know exactly what to do and have the right answer. Like, hmm, why am I a little bit like uncertain about this? And and, and, and just observe how many times in a day you are toggling in this uncertain position. That's mental toughness. Like there's no magic fairy dust. Like for other people, it just happens to be different phases, right? Mm-hmm. A, a player like Steph Curry or LeBron James, they don't toggle till – ever in in the playoffs. Right. But everybody has their own range, but you have to know when you're toggling. Otherwise you're guessing.
0: Yeah. And I, and I also, it's like great examples there of guys who may not in a certain niche in a certain arena may not toggle. I like you master that shit, but at home, you toggle when the baby starts crying like this, it's important to be able to spread your exactly. awareness because you can develop it in, in any arena. And I, I, as you were talking about being able to get to that point where you toggle, I was, I was reminded of a quote I saw on an Insta account today, which I'm not proud of sharing this because it's not something I normally do. But the quote said, life begins at the end of your comfort zone. You know, that's a little bit airy-fairy, but I'm going to yeah. twist it a little bit about growth begins at the end of your comfort zone and in particular growing mental toughness or mental agility is like you just have to, Get to the point where you toggle out of comfort, where you lose a little bit of control. That's where you can start to stretch those areas. Same as you do physically. Until your heart starts beating, you're not really training.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, when we're younger, right, we don't like for the coach or the parent or the teacher or the administrator or whoever. Let's just use athletics because it's it's an easier example because most pe- more, m- more people have played childhood athletics than they have done military, right? So the first time the coach gives you some feedback you don't like, you're toggling, make no mistake. You're like, I don't like the way he's talking to me. I was doing, I think I was doing that right. But that is a great example of the, 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 the encouragement that I always share is when, when you just don't like the situation you're in, that's when you're toggling. And that's when you have to get much more curious, less certainty, more inquiry. Like just ask yourself, slow down for a second and ask yourself, why don't I like this? And do I need to do something to get better? Because otherwise you are going to resist your own future potential at being elite because you just don't like the way the situation's unfolding. That's mental toughness. Like it isn't, I can do a thousand pushups. It isn't, I can throw a perfect game in major league baseball. Like we all, as you've you've brought up here, Patty, we have long and complicated lives that don't always, they're not always in major league baseball in the military, right? There's situations all the time that I think we can recognize that.
0: Love that. Love that. That's a pretty good note to end on there. And I want to say thank you to both of you for making time to come on here. Obviously, this is a, uh, a topic that's close to both of your hearts and uh, it's going to help a lot of people and specifically sharing the experiences that many of our listeners may not uh, may not have had yet, but hopefully uh, you're helping them. prep. For those who want to find you after the episode, find either the other work that you do or get in contact. Uh, Cece, what's the best way for someone to to find you?
2: Um, I am on Twitter as Edge Mentality, and that's probably the easiest way to find me.
0: Perfect. And Coleman, I'll I'll share with others. You've heard both uh, Cece and Coleman mention the MCTI podcast. So the Mission Critical Teams Initiative has its own podcast, which is much better and has much smoother vocals than this one. So if you, want to, uh, if you want to tune into that, you can probably just search MCTI Podcast. Is there any other way, if someone wants to get in contact with you directly, Colin, what's the best way to go about that?
1: Yeah, a couple. So uh, thanks for the plug, Patty. The Teamcast, if you search Teamcast on Spotify or Apple, it'll come right up. Um, I, I, I keep a little blog on my own website that I post from time to time, ColemanRuez.com. And then the mission cti.com website, you can get to Preston and I, you can get the old the episodes and all that kind of stuff. And some of the papers, research we post and we post like things that are coming up next summits and things that you guys have been to. And, um, and that's pretty much it. Or if people have direct contact with Cease or you, Patty, you can share my email or, you know, I don't share my email openly on venues like this, but I'm a pretty wide open guy. Like I don't hide from, you know, the general public. Perfect.
0: I want to say thanks again. Um, appreciate your time. And, uh, and hopefully it's not too long before we talk again soon. Uh, Thank you, you so appreciate much, you Daddy, guys. That was
2: awesome. Coleman, it yeah. was really nice to
1: get to hear you. Yeah, good so, to see you too. That was fun. That
0: was, uh, that was some badass answers from both of you. This is, this is a bumper episode. I'm not I'm just pumping you up.
1: Thanks for doing Thank that. Thank you, mate. guys.
2: That was fun. Thanks, appreciate
0: Daddy. You. See you all. So, Bustin' with the best of them Simply impressive No worrying or stressin' I'm getting by right now Put your shades on And let me show
1: your hand Yeah